Let's just bow on a word of prayer. Father, as we open up your word, we desire that by your spirit you take this word that you have penned and that we take it into our lives, that we just don't hear it, but that we be doers of the word. Lord, help us to just listen, help us to have an ear. Father, help us to hear what the Spirit says to us this morning. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to give you a, uh, a lesson in science to begin with. I read where the North Star is 30 light years away. That's a long way away. But if the star died today, if that North Star died, and therefore the light of that star is extinguished, it would take the last light from that star 30 years to reach our eyes here on this earth before the light disappeared for us as well. The star would have been dead for 30 years, but we wouldn't even know that it was dead. We would continue to see that light. Unfortunately, the same can be said of the church of Sardis, over which God has now written Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. The church is dead. They just don't know it yet. We've already studied the letters to the churches at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamum, the church at Thyatira. We've noted the difficulties. We've noted the compromises that they had and that they faced. We've noticed that they lost, the church at Ephesus had lost their first love. We've noted the persecution that some of the churches had faced. We've noted the error of the doctrine that has been allowed in, particularly last time, the error of or that woman Jezebel teaching error in the church. And today we have a church, a church of Sardis that has a reputation for being alive, but they're dead. And the question we have to constantly ask ourselves is, what would Jesus write to us? If he wrote a personal letter describing our personal relationship with him, certainly as a people, but as a congregation, what would he say? And we legitimately ask that question because look what the Lord keeps telling John to write at the end of all the letters to the churches. In this case, in chapter 3, verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, it turns out you have two ears. Some of our ears are not hearing as well as they used to. But I'm wondering this morning, do you have an ear that is ready to hear what the Spirit says to you this morning. The Lord has said that after each church. He wants us to take note. He wants us to hear 
Yes, Sardis was dead, but there was still hope. The letter to the church at Sardis begins at chapter 1 in verse 3. And he says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. So like the other letters, if you've been here for the other letters, we always ask the question, who is the one that is evaluating the church at Sardis? Who is the one that says, I say this about that church? Who's the one that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars? Well, from, if you've been here, you now know that to be the risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because each description has already been given to us previously when John saw the Lord in all his glory. If you just refer back to chapter 1 verse 4 of Revelation. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And we've already spoken about it, we've already described that when we looked at chapter 1. But basically, just to let you know, the seven spirits of God reveals the completeness or the fullness of the Holy Spirit as we saw in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. Which is interesting that the Lord should use that description of himself because we're going to see that the problem with this church is that they are spiritually dead. The Lord has the completeness of the Holy Spirit upon him the church has none. Devoid of the Spirit, the church of Sardis was dead. Then chapter 1 verse 20 of Revelation explains about the seven stars. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, or we've already worked out, just messengers of the seven churches. And so the risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ is the evaluator of this church at Sardis and might I say he is the evaluator of every church down through the ages, including new community. So what is the evaluation our Lord gives of Sardis? Look at the middle of verse 1. He says, I know your deeds, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Some versions say, I know your deeds, that you have a reputation that you're alive. Your reputation is that you're alive, but the evaluator, our Lord Jesus Christ, says, your reputation might say you're alive, but you're dead. Did you notice the Lord gives no indication of hardship like other churches? No indication of persecution, no indication of false teaching like last time with the, the woman Jezebel, no indication of corrupt living, no indication of sin, no indication of any issue other than that one. The church had the appearance of looking like they were alive, but they weren't. Have you ever been to the museum here in Adelaide or any others? Well, the church of Sardis was like those animals in that museum. 
You'd swear they were alive. There are some that are big bears that are going like this and lions with their mouth open. They can hear the roar just about. If you were able to touch the animals, their fur and their feathers feel like any real live animal would feel. They look and feel like they're alive, but they're dead. And the church at Sardis had that appearance like the animals in the museum. It looked like they were alive. It looked like they were busy and active and energetic and yet they were dead, as dead as those stuffed animals in the museum. Jesus Christ comes right out and condemns them. There's no commendation for this church. But what's interesting, I find, from our Lord's condemnation of this church is that from the members' perspective, from the people within the church, they thought they were alive. If you went up to one of those members of Sardis and said, tell me about your church. Oh, we have a great church. Our church is wonderful. Our church is alive. We meet every Sunday and we sing glory to the Lord. But the Lord says they only have a reputation of being alive. Like if the North Star disappeared, the light's gone out, but the reality hasn't hit them yet. They probably gathered on the Lord's Day. They probably had preaching and singing and teaching. They probably had lots of activities. But sometimes churches think everything's great just because they're holding services. Churches think that that everything's right just because there's lots of activity. But look at the Lord's perspective. He says, I don't care about your reputation. I can look inside your heart. Not just the appearance of what a church is doing. I can look inside. And he says, yes, you might have your reputation of it. Everyone around you thinks you're alive. But I look into the heart and you are dead. Here's the problem and it's true even today. We need to make sure as a church we never confuse activity with the anointing of God. Because not every activity is a sign of spiritual life. You know, when I was a kid, we had chooks in the backyard. Unlike today where chickens, uh, you can go to a shop and you eat chicken every day. When I was growing up, chicken was a special meal. You didn't have it very much. And every every Christmas, one of those chooks in our backyard became our Christmas dinner. Do you know that the most active chicken in the chook yard each year is the one who just had its head cut off? (laughs) You see, when you cut a chook's head off, that chicken is dead, but unless my dad tied its legs together, the chook will be running around like even without a head. We have a saying in Australia that we use when there's a lot of activity, but you're getting nowhere fast. We say you're running around like a chook with its head cut off. This church in Sardis was running around like a chook with its head cut off. A lot of activity going on. The flapping of wings. You should have seen those chickens running around a chook without a head. Very, very interesting. There was a lot of activity going on in this church, but the church is spiritually dead. W.A. Criswell wrote how you can tell the difference between a large church and a dead church, and I just quote him. 
Life churches are filled with people with Bibles in their hands. Dead churches aren't. Live churches have noisy children and youth. Dead churches don't. Live churches move by faith. Dead churches don't. Live churches emphasize opportunities, but dead churches focus on problems. Live churches are characterized by a loving fellowship. Dead churches manifest a bickering spirit. Live churches major on strong preaching. Dead churches emphasize liturgy. Live churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. There is a big difference between a live church and a dead church. And even though some churches think they're alive and some Christians think they're alive, Jesus says, I look inside and you're dead. So what happens to a church to cause them to die? Well, there are many things, and I thought about it, and the one that I thought was major is where I think a church dies when it becomes inward-focused. The only thing they think about is themselves. It's like a church that had a sign out the front that said, we preach Jesus only. But through the years, the church began to deteriorate, to began to decline in members, and they allowed ivy to grow over that sign until the JES was completely covered up. And so now when you rode by the church, the sign said, we preach us only. That's how churches die. When they begin to be so inward focused, they don't care about anybody else but themselves. And Jesus said about this church, you have a reputation that you are alive but you are dead. So what does the glorified Lord Jesus Christ say to them to do because they're dead? Because there's still hope for this church and the Lord is giving them some hope. And he gets right to the heart of it. Look at verse 2. He says, wake up! How many of you remember in school when maybe you had your head down and a teacher used to come with a ruler and hit your desk. Boy, you used to wake up quick, didn't you? That's the emphasis of that word. Wake up. Come to your senses. Smell the deadness of your life. You're in spiritual slumber that the centuries of this are asleep. Wake up. Because I have a plan for you. And the plan is you need to strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which were and about to die anyway. But wake up, wake up. Wake up, not all is lost yet. There's an old saying, unless an ember is flamed and flamed, fanned into flames, it is lost. I'll say it again. Unless an ember is fanned into flames, it is lost. And the Lord is saying, wake up, fan the flames. This church may have pleased men, but it doesn't doesn't please God. It may have looked good on the outside, but it doesn't look good in the heart. And nothing it did, according to the scripture, was complete in the sight of my God. Its works and ministry were not being brought to fulfilment. 
Literally, this is the idea and the intention of the motivation of ministry. Wake up! For instance, I have a question. Why do you do what you do in serving the Lord? Why do you do what you do in serving the Lord? Well, someone's got to do it. Is that a good answer? Wake up. Why are you involved in ministry? What needs to be fanned in your life? The fact is, if you answer that, why are you involved in ministry, and your answer isn't for any other reason than the love of Christ constrains you, then you need to check it. You need to check your reason for, for ministering. You need to wake up. Come on, wake up, be revived, strengthen what little remains. For even what is less is almost dead. A sad fact, there are too many churches who are in spiritual slumber. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Are you even aware what your gift is? How can you be reminded to fan into flame the gift of God if you've never even worked out what your gift is? If you don't have a clue, then come and see the elders. Come and see Jeff. Come and see me or Pete. We'll work through it with you. But if you don't know what your gift is, how are you going to fan it into flame? How are you going to wake up and strengthen what little remains if you don't know what you're going to strengthen in your ministry? Maybe you're not ministering at all and you know what your gift is. Strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. And then the Lord gives us an idea of what to do when we've woken up. And that's what he says in verse 3. After you've woken up, remember what you have received and heard and keep it. So you've woken up, you've woken out of your slumber, you're strengthening by remembering what you have heard or how you have heard and received and keep it. If it's true that some people have spiritual sleeping sickness and need to wake up with the ruler slapped on the desk, there is also some Christians who are afflicted with spiritual amnesia because they don't remember what they have received. They don't remember what they've heard. And so how can they keep it? They've forgotten what God has done in the past. They've for we become complacent. We become apathetic to what the Lord has said to us. Remember what you have received. Remember what you've been taught in God's Word. Remember all the things you have taught to you, all the things that were displayed to you, all the things that you've read for yourself. Remember it. Keep on remembering it. Never allow yourselves to forget the grace and mercy of God who offered you salvation and the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the Lord says here, hold fast to this. Keep it. Two simple words. <clears throat> but it's in the present tense. And so what he's saying is, continue to keep watch. Continue to keep it. Continue to keep guarding it. Keep on obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. Keep on keeping on. Used to be a, an ad for a paint. Keep on keeping on. 
You know, it's one thing to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's quite another thing to be willing to trust the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower us and to obey what we've heard every day. You might hear it, but it's another thing to trust in it and obey and let the, the Spirit empower you to obey. Keep a watchful attitude so you don't lose the truth of Jesus Christ is what the Lord himself is saying. And then once you've done that, the end of that verse says, and then repent. Jesus says, repent. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Now we all know what repent is. It's simply turning away from the direction you were going and going 180 degrees back the other way. That's a simple explanation of repent. And so what our Lord is saying to this church is, take a look at your life in me and change your mind about the way your own faith is dying. Repent of your lifelessness. Repent of your hypocritical lifestyle. Repent of your good works done only so men can see them. Repent once and for all. Remember what you've received. Remember what you've heard. And you need to keep it daily, on and on keeping it, and repent. And then in the rest of verse 3, the Lord gives us a warning. Therefore, if you do not wake up, so he's told us what to do when we wake up, this is what's going to happen if you don't wake up. You might remember the, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord warned the Ephesian saints that he'd come and remove their lampstand if they did not repent. He warned the church at Pergamos that he'd come and make war with the sword of the Spirit if they did not repent. Here he tells the church at Sardis, if you don't wake up, if you don't strengthen the things that remain, if you don't wake up and remember what you've received and you've heard and you're not keeping it, he says, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Now the fact is, Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to rapture the church and he's coming like a thief. He's coming suddenly, he's coming without warning and all Christians will be blessed and we'll all say amen as we head up together. But from the context of this passage, the rapture is not what the Lord is talking about here. This isn't about the Lord coming like a thief to take his church to be with him. This is about the Lord coming like a thief to judge his church, to judge the people within this church at Sardis, not to bless them, but to judge them. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know the hour I will come to you. Now the Lord decided not to tell us what he was going to do with that church when he came. Maybe a good thing. But I can tell you that when the Lord comes like a thief and you won't know the hour and he's coming to judge, it can't be good. It can't be good for the, for, for the Lord of heaven to come down and judge these people because 
They have a reputation of being alive. They will not wake up. And he's coming. Maybe the church will be removed, taken away so it doesn't continue to lead others astray. Maybe the Lord will do something like he said to the church at Ephesus and take their lampstand away. And here you have a church which will be doing all the things without the Lord in the, in the service. <clears throat> whatever the case, whatever the case of the Lord coming, it's very serious. Wake up. James, in his book, says in chapter 1, verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Look at yourself in the mirror of the word of God and say, I've got to change. I've got to be a a doer of the word. Don't walk away from that mirror of God's word and forget what kind of person you are. That's what they were doing. They were slumbering. Wake up and I've got to change. This church is made up of people who have a reputation of being alive, but God or the Lord sees that they are dead. But in verse 4, a promise is given. A promise to individuals who are being faithful to the Lord. Even in dead churches, there is a remnant of God's people. Verse 4 says, But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. This was a dead church, and Jesus Christ told us that. Yet Jesus himself said, even in Sardis, there are a few people who are faithful. You know, all throughout history, all throughout the Bible, God has always had a faithful few that we call and just term the faithful remnant. In the Dark Ages, in the 5th century AD, Christianity was being overwhelmed by Catholicism. But there were faithful men like Martin Luther, William Tyndale, At times in history it seems like Satan is winning, but God always has his people through all the persecution of the first and second century into the third. It looked like Satan was winning, but God always had someone. And even in this dead church, God had his remnant. And the Lord promises to these faithful Christians in the middle of verse 4 that they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes, and we've looked at that many times, he who is born again will thus be clothed in white garments. White garments are always a symbol of redemption in Scripture. You don't have to go very far to see that. In the seventh chapter of this book, in verse 14, we read of a great multitude of people who come out of the great tribulation and who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Clearly throughout scripture, white garments are a sign of being redeemed, being saved by the grace of God. You might remember Isaiah's wonderful words in his opening chapter in verse 18. 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And that's what the blood of the Lamb does. And these few people are said to be worthy, not because they lived good moral lives, but because their sins had been washed away in the blood of the Lamb and they were worthy because God had imparted to them the righteousness of Christ. We've heard it at the, at the table this morning. That's the gift which he gives to all who come by faith to him. You can't earn your way into a good relationship with God. We're given it by believing his word and receiving his goodness. And the Lord says of this remnant in a dead church that they will walk with me in white for they have not soiled their garments. They are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And the reality of this in our lives today is that we are to walk with our Lord every day in purity. And the only way we can stay in fellowship with Jesus Christ is to stay clean. But how do we do that? Well, first of all, you have to be wearing the white garments. You have to be born again. But 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, you can turn there if you like. 1 John chapter 1, starting from verse 6, says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar and his word is not in us. We need to walk with our Lord every day in purity. We need to have fellowship with him by asking at all times if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But not only is there a promise for a faithful remnant of Sardis that they will walk with me in white, The next part of verse 5 says, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Now some people take this in the negative sense and it bothers people because many people believe and immediately think that this implies that some can be erased out of the book of life. If I'm given the righteousness of Christ, does this mean I can lose it again? If I don't live up to what I should or walk rightly before the Lord, can I lose my salvation? Can my name be erased from the book of life? But notice the way the Lord puts it. He doesn't say anything about anyone's name being erased. His words are simply an assurance, a positive assurance, that those who trust him will never be blotted out. I will not erase his name from the book of life. 
Don't look at it negatively and say, well, that means that some are being erased. No, it's a positive statement. I will not erase a name. You see, there's a book of life in heaven and everyone whose name is in the Lamb's book of life will be saved. The end of Revelation chapter 20, when we get there before the Lord returns, says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name is not written there. Our Lord's assurance is, if you are really a true believer in Christ, if you've been born again and have his life in you, he says, I will not blot out your name from the book of life. And the word not is the strongest negative in the Greek language. It should be translated, I will never, ever, under any circumstance, erase your name from the book of life. This is a wonderful assurance that we're given. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, that they were to rejoice because their names were written in heaven. In Luke 10, 20. And what's more exciting is that the Greek verb translated written is in the perfect tense, which means it can be translated, your names have been written in heaven and are on permanent record up there. And so rather than being erased, on the contrary, Jesus says at the end of verse 5, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You know, when we arrive in glory, our lives will be visible to everybody. Nothing's hidden. And Jesus says, when you stand here with your entire record exposed for everyone to see, I will look at you and I will say, you are mine. I will acknowledge your name before my Father and all the angels. This sinner, this defiled person, this unworthy character, I want the universe to know that he is mine and he's covered with my blood. I ask you a question. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know that you know that you've been born again? You have to know. Jesus says, I will profess you before my Father if your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Be encouraged, it can never be erased, but don't be encouraged if your name is not in there. In fact, you should be deathly scared because if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, you'll be thrown into the lake of fire. The second death, which we'll get to. And then verse 6 finishes, as all the other churches, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so I'm wondering what you think the Holy Spirit may be saying to the people who call New Community Church their home. The Holy Spirit may be saying to some of us as we sit here this morning, he may say, I know all the things you do, I know your deeds, 
You do have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. You can fool us, but you can't fool God. He may be saying to some others who are breathing but not living in the joy of the Holy Spirit, he may be saying to you this morning, wake up, strengthen what little remains. Remember the Lord forgave your sins and gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Fan into flame the gift of God. Repent, wake up, take a look at your life in me. God, Jesus says, change your mind, repent about the way you're living. Repent of the hypocritical lifestyle that you lead. Repent about the good works you do so that men can see what you do. Repent of your sinful lifelessness. Repent of your white robes being spoiled. He may be saying still to others here this morning, Yet there are some in the church who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The key to staying alive in Christ is to choose to depend on the indwelling Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in the Spirit. You see, the fruit of walking in the Spirit is experiencing an abundant life. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? The fruit of the Spirit is a life of joy, a life of love, a life of peace and of patience and of kindness and of goodness and of faithfulness. And dare I say, regardless of the surrounding circumstances. Walking in the Spirit is a life of being able to faithfully maintain our lampstand so that the glorified Jesus Christ can continue to be the light of the world in our community. I want us to make sure of one thing as we think upon this and to make sure that Ichabod, the glory of God has departed, is not written over the doors of the new community church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example of this church at Sardis. Father, we grieve for the church back in those days. We grieve for the knowledge that they thought they were alive, but Father, you looked into their heart and they were dead. But Lord, it's an example for us. It's a timeless word that we read. Father, you ask us if we have an ear, then hear. Give us an ear to hear. Give us an ear to hear what the the Spirit of God has said to this church. Not necessarily, Lord, because we are there, but, Father, we need to guard against looking alive but being dead. Help us, I pray, that each one is the church sitting here this morning, The church is not some nebula building, Father, the church is us. Help us to look into our lives, to wake up if we're asleep and remember the things that we've heard, remember the things that we've received 
and to keep it daily and then repent of our lives because we're going against you. I thank you, Lord, for the (coughs) faithful who are in the white robes, who walk with the Lord, whose name will never, ever be taken out of the book of life. I thank you, Lord, that you will one day be there in heaven saying that we belong to you. And so, Father, just ask that your Spirit may work in each of our lives. Give us an ear to hear what the Spirit says to us today. Amen.